The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. And verse 19 goes with it, as righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. <clears throat> All right, now, we have been talking about the first part of this verse. The wicked work at the deceitful work. The deceitful idea is the, the idea of that which uh, promises one thing, but gives no real substance, does not accomplish what it promises to do. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a lie. It's a deceitful thing. It, it has all the appearances of being, of being good and, uh, and uh, uh, rich, and yet at the same time cannot accomplish that which, uh, which it promises. And so we looked at some examples last week of some of those that, uh, that thought they were getting great gains, but in the end they found that the way of sin leads to death. The thing we have to learn to do with evil is by utilizing the Word of God, strip off all of the veneer, begin to see sin as God sees it, begin to see sin in terms of its long-range results. Satan is, the, is a liar. He's the father of lies. Um, it is impossible for Satan to be uh, totally truthful even when he tells the truth behind it is deception uh, he will sometimes quote scripture which of course is truth but he will do it in order to gain an end which uh, is not in keeping with the character of God and with his word and we've got to learn to deal with sin we've got to learn to, to recognize it for what it is and what it does and uh, some things are obvious. Other things are more subtle. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, uh, things. I think we mentioned last week uh, the idea of sexual sin and promiscuity. Uh, it's obvious uh, that that leads to all kinds of problems. Heartache and uh, physical disease and uh, this sort of thing. Of course, everybody that does it thinks they're the ones that are going to get away with it. And uh, yet it doesn't work that way. You can't sow the wild oats and pray for crop failure. It just doesn't work. And sin is deception. Sin is death. And uh, sooner or later, when you, when you indulge in that which is the lust of the flesh, it is going to destroy you. And uh, so uh, recognize it for what it is. One of the things that I, I discovered uh, that is sort of rather subtle uh, in its presentation in 1 John was talking about the fact that if you say you, you have no sin, you, you're, you've deceived yourself, and then if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some people talk about the fact that they think that's, that's just too simple. Uh, if you simply agree with God, the word for confess is homologeo, it's the word uh, to speak the same thing. Logos means to speak, uh, reason, thinking. And uh, homo means the same, so it's homo legeo, uh, to speak the same thing or to agree with God. It's not a matter of even uh, uh, feeling sorry for your sin or uh, any of those things, although those things are fine in themselves. That's not what that's saying. It's saying agree with God. Call, learn to call sin, sin. 
And uh, I think one of the reasons that with some people uh, that uh, concept sometimes uh, leads them to repeatedly sin or to, to chain sin, as I like to call it. That is where you sin and then you agree with God, yes, God, that's sin. And then you, you go ahead and do it again. And then you say, God, that is sin. And you do it again. And uh, just like a chain smoker, uh, one uh, sin lights off the next. And you go on and on and on and on and on and just keep doing it. And, and people say, well, you know, it, it, maybe it's because God's made it so simple. Just agreeing with God doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't cut it. And the problem is that when we agree with God, it's sin. Many times we lack the concept of what sin is what it does to the heart of God, what it does to you as an individual. And as long as you, as, as you uh, uh, can, uh, can live with sin uh, and uh, think of, uh, without thinking of, of, of how it breaks the heart of God, how it grieves the Holy Spirit, how it causes uh, you to uh, be debilitated in so many different ways, as long as you can live with that contently, then... Uh, uh, your confession of sin, though God forgives and cleanses, does not have the effect, effect that God intended for it to have. God intends for you to see sin for what it is, to see wickedness, to see that it is wrong, to see that it falls short of God's standard, it falls short of God's character, to see that it's a destructive force, to see that it's a deception, all of those things. And the, the growth in a person's life from a negative standpoint will always be re related to your concept of sin. From a positive standpoint, it'll always be related to your concept of the character of God. But as long as, 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 long as a person has no proper concept of sin, then they, they can go ahead and use 1 John 1, 9. And God, of course, honors His Word. When you agree, yes, that's sin, God will forgive your sin and cleanse your sin. But then what good does it do if you go right out and do it again? You've got to grow in the area of a concept of sin that will, will, will get you to the place where you hate sin the way God hates sin. You hate it because of what it does to you, what it does to the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But most of all, you hate it because of what it does to God. It breaks the heart of God simply because God created man with a purpose in mind. And when we have misused that purpose, when we have, have gone our own way and we've gone astray, then, then uh, God, uh, uh, God just hates that sin. And his heart is broken as his people indulge in sin. You see that over and over again in the nation of Israel. And there's always that twofold thing. The fact of what it does to God and the fact of what it does to us. That's the reason that God is, if you please, so against sin. First of all, because it violates his very character. And secondly, because the creatures that he created, is, it's destroying them. And God loves you. And he doesn't want you to sin. And so, sin is a deceitful thing. The gain of a, man, of a bad man or an evil man is not real. It's illusionary. And you see guys out there in the business world doing the thing that's dishonest, getting away with it seemingly, and getting rich. And you begin to think to yourself, hmm, that man is prospering, and uh, God hasn't done anything to him. 
It hasn't apparently hurt him. Maybe if I cheat a little bit, maybe I can get ahead a little further and get the jump on everyone else. And you begin to toy with that. And pretty soon you find yourself doing it. And you get the same gain that he has. And then you discover something that, that really everybody sooner or later discovers. And that is that that which you thought was real is really illusionary. And it really doesn't have any genuine value. Now, of course, some of you have uh, learned this before, but uh, it's good to turn to it again and just remind ourselves in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. You have the, you have the clear picture of what's involved here in the prospering of the wicked. Um, as most of the Psalms, it begins with a with a, a word of praise or a word of commendation to the Lord uh, for his faithfulness or for his goodness. Um, it says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Now, that's an overall general statement that, that God uh, historically has proved himself to be good for good people, all right? But the next verse, the psalmist, because of the momentary discouragement that he's facing, uh, says that's true generally. But for me, it didn't work. You ever find yourself saying that? Well, you know, prayer might be okay for you, but for me, it didn't work. Uh, Bible study might be okay for you, but for me, it didn't work. Uh, I, uh, I know that you're excited about going to church and hearing God's Word, but for me, it didn't work. You find yourself every once in a while. Why? Because you, at the present moment, you're facing trial and difficulty, and uh, it doesn't seem as though uh, things are clicking the way they ought. And so the psalmist just simply says, As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had almost slipped. Why? Here's a big mistake he made. He says, I was envious of the foolish, or literally the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He was distressed and had a, a distressed look at life. Why? Because the wicked was prospering. Look at it. There are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. They're getting away with it. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about like a chain. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters a full cup uh, waters of a full cup are wrung out to them, and they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Now, boy, I'll tell you, there is twelve verses that are really confusing. Because you know what? The psalmist is right. Many, many times, in fact, seems at times like most of the time, the wicked 
prosperous far more than the righteous. There are far more wicked businessmen out there than there are godly ones. There's a whole lot that try to sit on the fence. But there, there are even more that are really downright wicked who shake their fist in the face of God and say, absolutely, God, I don't care whether you exist or not. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go my way. Who needs you? Now, you know some of them. In fact, some of them work at a desk right beside you. And yet, they, they have better sales than you. And they have more money than you. And uh, they have, uh, uh, they, they have the, the material things of life that, that you don't have. They never give a dime to charity and they never give a dime to the church. And here you uh, make sacrifices in that way and yet you don't discover the kind of wealth and riches that you'd hoped for when you uh, were generous with God. Okay? Now, that's the distressed look. But then it gets worse. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. Because in verses 13 through 16, you have the disappointed look he has been looking at circumstances in the first 12 verses. Now he's looking at himself and examining very closely. And he says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. What, what profit is there in being a holy man? What profit is there in being godly? I cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say... I will speak thus. Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He wanted to just eat worms and die. Curl up in a corner and suck his thumb. I mean, after all, the wicked is prospering, and here I am. I'm doing everything that, that God wants me to do, and what does it get me? Nothing. Okay? Good case of self-pity. But then it uses a very important word, until. Until. Verses 17 through 22, you have the discerning look. Until I went into the sanctuary, the sanctuary of God, then understood I, and here it is, their end. Then understood I their end. I'll tell you something, the best, one of the best things you can teach your children is to teach them not to envy the wicked. Johnny comes home and he says, you know, Billy stole a bicycle and nobody caught him. Teach him not to envy the wicked. Teach him not to envy the wicked, but how? by showing him the end of the wicked. Show him the end of the wicked. I suggest to you to go through the scriptures and show how scripture puts up a red light by every one of the wicked men, almost every one in the Bible, at least the outstanding ones where there's any detail about their life at all, you have their end. It shows you a man like Sodom, like a lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, 
Now, he wasn't wicked. He was called a righteous man. He was a man who feared God, but he compromised. His compromise led to all kinds of problems. Study the end of the wicked. How about a man like Saul, who ended up a suicide? Ended up going nuts, crazy, out of his head half of the time, and ultimately died a suicide. A man who, who, who could not touch the heart of God to get guidance and direction. Had to, had to go into the occult. Wicked man. Man who started well, but ended tragically because he, he became proud. You go through the Old Testament and look at the end of the wicked. You take your child through that journey, and then you show him that that works out in real life. You can look at all the billboards in the world that talk about the man of distinction sitting there with a glass of liquor in his hand, and that's fine. That's good advertising. You sure wouldn't want to tell the truth of something like that. The place you take your son is down to Skid Row. Take him to the Bowery in New York. Take him to, to, to the uh, mission area of, of uh, Chicago. Show them what these barefoot men in the middle of winter can't even find shoes. They'll sell their shoes right off their feet to get one more bottle of liquor. Show them the end of the wicked. It's the end of the wicked that makes all of the difference, you see. Now, the psalmist said that the place that he saw the end of the wicked was the sanctuary of God. And, you know, that might be difficult to understand until you understand that really the sanctuary was the, was the Bible of the Old Testament. The old people didn't have access to Bibles like we do here. They want to understand about God. They want to understand about judgment. They want to understand about sin. They went to the sanctuary of the Lord, and they had visual aids. Anybody that's against visual aids uh, don't understand how much God used visual aids. The whole story of redemption and sin and all that's involved is found in the pieces of the tabernacle. And the very first thing you see when you come in from the court of the Gentiles into the tabernacle, into the holy place, outside the holy place, is a brazen altar, a brass altar. And that brass altar is a slaughterhouse. It's a slaughterhouse. A lot of people, I, I've seen models of the tabernacle. And uh, they all show the tabernacle the way it was before it was used. But do you realize that if the people followed the law, there was not a day of their life that three million people didn't have to come and bring a sacrifice? They had, they had the sin offering. They had the trespass offering. We think in terms of the Day of Atonement and all that's involved there. But you see, there was a continual sacrifice going on. This priest is standing there with his butcher's apron on and chopping up these lambs, cutting apart the pieces, putting them on the altar, burning them on the behalf of the people. I'll tell you something. There was blood all around. There was, there, was, there was a stink, a stench like you couldn't believe. Why? Because they were slaughtering lamb after lamb after lamb because the people were sinners. And the end of sin is death. And when he came there, ah, it began to click. Sin always has its consequences. The wages of sin is death. Not sometimes, always. 
it will always have its consequences. Now marvelous to know that God provided a substitute lamb at that time and ultimately provided a substitute to die on the cross, Jesus Christ, and as we appropriate him, our sins can be forgiven. He paid the penalty, but somebody paid. Somebody paid. And believe me, there is always, always that which must be paid in terms of sin. Now, as a result, what does he say? He says, I, until I went to the sanctuary, then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down to destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one waketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. <coughs> Understand that it gave him a broader perspective. And the broader perspective is this, that a man may die wicked and die wealthy but death does not end it there is an eternity yet and I think sometimes that God that God uh, just out of sheer mercy allows the wicked man to enjoy life a little bit and maybe gives him a little bit more here you know why because he's got nothing in eternity. As far as we are concerned, I realize that on the short range, as long as you keep a short range vision, sometimes it seems as though as though we we are uh, we are held back uh, from uh, uh, really uh, enjoying or having all that we would we would d desire to have. Even sometimes to the place that that some of you I know. Uh, uh, have a hard time making ends meet month by month. Now that's 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 a sad thing. Uh, uh, scripture says uh, that uh, I have uh, lived a rich life, uh, a full life, and I've never seen the righteous go hungry. And uh, when men are truly righteous, God's going to make sure that you have what you need. He may not give you all you want. And one of the reasons He doesn't give us all he want, all, all we want is because. It's only a little while anyway. It's like it's like you say to your child. The child says, I'm hungry, Mommy. They say, now, son, you just wait because we're going to have a big dinner tonight. You can wait a little bit, suffer a little bit, those hunger pangs, because it's going to be satisfied fully. And you don't understand that on the short range as parents with children. Don't want you to have anything to spoil your appetite. So I don't want you to eat anything now because you're going to have a, a meal. I'll tell you something. We right now are waiting for where the real action is. Our hope is not here. Our investment is not here. Our investment is in glory. And when you take that little speck called time, that for you may be 70, the offset 80 years, all right, and compare that with the countless ages of eternity, where in his presence is fullness of joy, at his right hand pleasures forevermore. I want to tell you something. There may be times where, where life is dead serious here, and where I'm bogged down with all kinds of, of pressures because of, of the ministry that we have with people. And there may not be as many smiles and laughs as I'd like to have sometimes, because life and death matters face me. Guess what? I'm going to have a ball forever in glory. 
No more trials, no more problems, no more pressures, no more burdens, and all the rest. And I'll tell you, I will bear, I will bear the bitter cup in this life if necessary. And if I never again can laugh about anything, never again have any money or any of the material things that I want or desire, and all my earthly goods fall apart, I know that when I come to the threshold of heaven in a moment of time, all of that that has been lost is going to be swept away in one fell swoop, and it's going to be nothing but gain for the countless ages and eons of eternity. And we bet we're there billions of years, and we haven't even begun. And if I have to sacrifice now in order to have a more quality life then, What's the sacrifice? You know, I, I even talked to some of these rich people. You know, and they, uh, they'll say things the that, that boil down to the equivalent of this. They'll say, uh, well, you know, I, I wanted to get a new car uh, this year, but and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get this real hot car, uh, but I, uh, I decided that um, if I made this investment, that I could get twice the car next year. Right? Now, it may not be a car, it may be a house, it may be a boat, it may be uh, all kinds of things. The point is, he had the money to buy the car. He said no, he denied himself the car so he could invest the money, double his money in the year, come back and buy twice the car. All right? They understand that kind of language. I can't understand why they don't, don't see this. That's all we're doing. Jim Elliott, who was killed in 56 with the fellows down in, in um, Ecuador, uh, Nate Saint and Jim McCulley and those fellows that died at the hands of the Aka Indians. Uh, Jim Elliott, when he was in college, began to keep a journal. Uh, it's, a, it's an awesome thing, really, to see his walk with God written in paper his very private thoughts. But he had a very deep walk with the Lord, and his sister, Betty Elliott, uh, has, uh, or his, his wife, Betty Elliott, uh, has uh, uh, published a book called The uh, Journals of, of Jim Elliott. And uh, in there, there's the statement, which became very well-known, very famous, right at the time of his death. Someone quoted it, and Life magazine picked it up, and uh, they put it in the article concerning them, and you've heard it repeated a thousand times. I wonder if you've ever really thought through the implications of it. He said this, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think of that. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And you see, Scripture says, Lay not up treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But rather lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now where's your focus? Well now, the psalm finishes then with a delighted look in verse 22, uh, verse 21. Excuse me, 23, I'll find it yet. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. 
Thou hast held me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward, afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, that, that's just David's way of saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the way Paul said it. The Lord is my portion forever. So I've got the Lord who needs all the rest. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all those who play the harlot departing from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works.